It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and I am joined today by Joan and Jane, the Therapy Twins. So welcome. Thank Thank you. you. It's lovely to be here. It's awesome to have you here. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Joan and Jane. They are former therapists who are tired of the stigma of mental illness, come out of their own diagnosis with tips on how they got better. In their ADH-friendly book, From Under the Hood, they tell the stories of the traumatic past, often with comedy, in order to normalize reactions to trauma and bring response back to the community so that we can all live. And it is awesome to have you here this morning. So what is an ADH-friendly book? Joan? Uh, It's actually ADHD. If you grew up with any type of learning disability, you realize that any book is intimidating. Sometimes when you can actually read it, you go from the back to the front, from the bottom of the page up. So what we did was we read it to each other. And if you stuttered or it didn't flow, we got rid of it out of the book because the book was a lot longer initially, but I have thrown it away. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) And another reason it's, it's great for the inattentive population um, is we were told that you could, uh, after reading it, you could open it at any point, like just open it to any page every morning and just read that little bit and, and then ponder that kind of, stuff all all throughout the deck <laughs> as oh, almost like cool. a, a different way to look yeah at it. yeah yeah cool cool so uh-huh. you guys both had careers in the medical field is that right well mostly mm-hmm. psychiatric nurses and okay. um, I and then I did um a handful of years in um intensive care units so okay. high you know high tech medical um and then we became therapists Okay, so what prompted that that change to becoming therapists? Jane, you went first. I got to say, the biggest reason that I chose to go back to school was because I actually didn't like how my life was going. I didn't know how to kind of live my life, and I needed a distraction. And so having had a bachelor's degree in nursing and did more psych than medical, the next step would be to go back for a master's degree in psych nursing and be a prescriber and a therapist. Mm -hmm. The next step, really. And I followed her. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what was it about um, working in the medical field that was kind of making your life unmanageable that kind of prompted you? For me, I did uh, mostly medical in the beginning. And I kind of got very frustrated with the system and how it was going. I had a lot of uh, like a love-hate relationship with loving how technology was and, um, you know, human kindness and and getting people better or helping them die or pass on uh, to all the politics that gets in the way. And it just gets really ugly. 
And then I saw kind of uh, this love with psych nursing and then how politically I didn't, wasn't happy. (laughs) So, um, so that's for me, one of the biggest reasons that makes sense. Yeah. It's hard to find, hard to find a career or a job where there isn't politics. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. So I'm curious, um, just a question that popped into my head. How do you think um, psychiatric care is being affected by the the pandemic? And I meet with my psychiatrist virtually. I've never met with him in person. How do you think psychiatric care is being affected by this? Oh, a, a lot, because anybody who was even stable psychiatrically, once COVID hit, started to actually come back and need their therapist a little bit more. Uh, The thing about virtual, at first, I I actually thought, no, because I've been to a therapist myself, and she would never have done virtual, because she really needed to see and feel the whole thing. But the more I did it, I realized that was actually very effective. I think that it was an excellent way to broaden people's access to care who couldn't mm, actually come in themselves. Yeah. I think you, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I agree with that, but then in a sense um, with the way technology moves that sometimes it goes overboard. <laughs> and then those yeah. that have the, uh, those that have the preference for social isolation might get too comfortable with the virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I love to see it, how, how it all unfolds. It's always got a little bit of good and a little bit of not so good. Yeah. Well, I, I was just curious. I mean, for a while I was meeting with my therapist virtually and it all was very, was very interesting the way, it, the way it has played out. So I was just curious to what you would have to say. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about your childhood and, and growing up. What was that like? Well, by we the were, way, are you guys uh, are identical twins? We, we are. You are. are. Okay. People actually try to say that we aren't, but as far as we know, that egg split. Yes, we absolutely are. All uh, right. We were born prematurely, given our last rights because we were supposed to die and not will not survive. But we did. Oh, wow. The nurses had named us, and we were in separate incubators, which is looked down upon today because the healthier twin would actually have helped the other twin um, survive better or at a better rate. So that didn't happen for us. So then our childhood must've been a nightmare because our (laughs) mom was sick (laughs) and the poor thing. And uh, she was a twin herself, younger, the youngest twin being the youngest twin. I can easily say this is a very hard task for one child, let alone two (laughs) at the same time. So it didn't go well. So those little sociopathic traits, I believe, came out because we were almost arrested, but we were too young to be arrested for throwing rocks at moving vehicles, which, of course, everybody realizes would be a nightmare, especially, you know, for <laughs> me as a driver today. No kidding. Jane, How old were you when you did that? Jane, I think we were about four. Oh, older than that. Five. We're on Pond Hill Road. Older five. than five. Older than five. You know, it was difficult to could um, not have been tried as an adult, but older in, in the in the in the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least our parents were post-World War II people. Our dad was in the Korean War. And you know, parenting was, you know, we got they got to spank us, of course, but it was uh the father really ruled the roost. Like if the father right. didn't like 
Brussels sprouts. Nobody <laughs> ate Brussels sprouts because, you know, dead. And that's, I'm not saying that that's a bad way to grow up, but um, in a sense, we weren't able to express a lot of the probably fear and anxiety and probably anger that we had back then. <laughs> So, yeah. um, you know, of course we were going to throw some rocks. Well said. Yes. Well said. <laughs> no, you got to express yourself. It's going to come out some way. So, <laughs> so did um, your dad have any long-term effects like PTSD from the war or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, unfortunately he suffered from um, dementia. So pre-dementia, he never, if he spoke of it, it was always in jest laughter out loud. We all, including himself, it was just constant, a comedy at his expense, unfortunately, because once you get dementia, your brain has lost the power to allow treatment. So he virtually went right back to the war and was in full-blown PTSD. And that was a horrific way to see a man pass because he was so strong initially. Yeah, it got, it was very, very sad. So your mind just breaks down any barriers to. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Is dementia a a chemical thing or is it just, is your, your brain, what, what is dementia? I mean, I know what it is, but what happens? Well, there's the aging brain and um, so neurotransmitters aren't going to be produced and, um, circuited and reacting the way they would in a 25-year-old. And then there's the same type of plaque that someone who suffers a stroke or a heart attack where the vessels are being starved of oxygen. There's that part. Um, and or no, okay. toxins. And, and, then, and then let's not forget the increase in toxins. There's been many, many different toxins associated with and um, one of the neurotransmitters is acetylcholine. And what's, uh, what I just learned recently was, um, well, we knew that acetylcholine played a huge role in dementia, but I just learned that people who have uh, PTSD and go without treatment, you have low levels of acetylcholine. Oh, and wow, I wish I knew that when I was yes. younger. Cause uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of yeah. statistics out there about uh, trauma and early dementia. Um, um, even a severe depression or, um, I've even read in, in some with, uh, untreated ADHD. I mean, with a lot of these disorders, like any muscle that gets traumatized, there's a shrinkage, um, unless you are able to get it better and work it back, giving it uh, a nice workout. Oh, That's like why there's all those, those games, those yes. mind games to help prevent dementia. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Um, Is acetylcholine something that you can supplement in some way? You could, but with a lot, like with a lot of supplements, it depends on whether you're, you're going to be able to absorb it and utilize it. And I, I believe that it's THC that inhibits the enzyme that allows the plaque to build up, especially the Alzheimer's type. And what's okay. sad about that is, of course, our father was 80, what, eight or so. He never smoked marijuana and no one would even know that THC would have been good for somebody. But um, yeah, that is horrific. So that if there is a way to stop it, because Jane, when she was with our dad, he remembered her name towards the end and he did not remember me. I was the kid. 
and he was looking out at our backyard and he said something, right? What did he say? Yes. He said, um, oh, his, his name was Michael Landino and he said, Jane. And I said, yes, dad. And he said, where did Michael Landino go? Mm. And that was so sad because when the person is aware of both sides, like they're a little bit oriented, but they know they're not going to be, you know, in school, we were taught that that obviously is one of the most frightening times of your life. Right. And so, you know, we should even have a shout out to young people today, because I know there's an ageism out there yeah. that, you know, when if somebody's a little, an elderly person is a little bit irritable or a little too friendly, I mean, be kind. Yeah, because it, it could just be that it's the aging brain. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. and <sighs> it's inevitable. Well, we will all be there and need some grace and kindness. Yeah, and we're there, right? So, right. so what were you guys like as teenagers? Let me get my my side oh. out right here. <laughs> just a couple of words. Um, Let I, it go, Jane. I was just very silent. <laughs> I was almost. Um, invisible uh, or, or tr- created myself as an invisible because Joan was able to speak a little bit more than me. So I pretty much was silent, but yeah, uh, thanks for that. <laughs> well, when, if you go back to those separate incubators, Jane was uh, not exactly sick. She was premature, but she was surviving. So she would have learned how to dissociate in the corner. Whereas apparently I suffered a brain tumor that caused convulsions. So I was being poked and prodded. So therefore in school, necessarily, definitely you would have been the quiet one. And I would have been on electricity, high voltage, which I was, I was the most talkative. Uh, I guess I had either a learning disability or ADHD or, or if they're the Mm. same. Uh, I don't think you got class clown, but you would have been considered. Well, that hurt my feelings because (laughs) then I became a comedian because the attention wasn't the attention wasn't enough of just being lit with five voltages. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. It was like if it wasn't on me, I made sure that attention would be on me for fear. I don't know that the light would go out. I don't actually know. (laughs) Interesting. Isn't that usually um, that center stage? Isn't that usually a youngest trait? Oh, oh well, I, yes. I, I do. Um, we are only two minutes apart. Okay. But uh, I was the older one. I, um, I came first for two Clearly. minutes. But when you think, <laughs> when you think about how, how much attention a sick child uh, must receive and that, that, I, that for me felt the two minutes stretched for me. I felt very middle child because we have an older sister. Okay. And so Joan, yes, it, it was a very young, the younger person, the younger, the baby of the family trait. Yeah. yeah. And I think we had a class on that at uh, the university yes. because I clearly had every major under the sun, changed my mind multiple times. There was a type. Yeah. You wanted to yeah. do what Lori did. You wanted to do what I did. Yeah. yeah. All the way to jet pilot. Working behind in the kitchen, washing dishes was one, and uh, jet pilot was at the opposite end. 
of that spectrum. It was exhausting. Wow. Yes. Very, <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> very interest. So I'm curious, I'm curious, Bessel van der Kolk in the body keep score talks a lot about carried trauma. And I'm curious, Joan, as a, as a child who was poked and prodded and um, lit up and all of that, did you have um, anything that you could identify as being that kind of carried trauma from medical trauma later in life? Absolutely. Uh, in his book, he talks about how the body will keep the score. So his book has explained to me how I would go zero to 60, like a saber toothed tiger. And I mm. truly felt at my worst that every member of my family was against me. And I had to fight to, to either stay or to keep them away from me. He explains a lot. And unfortunately, we both saw good care as nurses in the 80s, where they had uh, recreational therapy, art, um, so music, so many other therapies. And the, the, the nurse would take people out to eat just to get them back to figuring about society. And again, he, in his book, says that if you don't have those visceral changes where now I feel safe because I'm at mm -hmm. Yale Psychiatric Institute and people are being nice to me. I'm learning how to integrate back into society. We don't have that anymore. And that's why I believe that trauma today is actually devastating where people will say, doesn't everyone have trauma? Yeah, we do. We may have every one of us. It's just the way we're being um, treated in society today. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think treatment um, is changing? Follow, well, follow the dollar, of course. <laughs> follow the dollars. It's, that's the saddest part of all, follow mm. the dollar. But sometimes you've got to look at um, the culture you're living in and what they view as important and what is not important. And so many times, you know, um, clearly pet therapy, that, that's cut because that's just an animal. Mm. Um, what we've noticed was music therapy is the last to go, uh, cause music is proven over and over and over again to be helpful. So they'll get rid of arts and crafts or they'll get rid of one more recreational therapist. Or, oh, you know, it, it, it's all about money. And, and then don't forget why is money important in this particular culture we're living in. So, um, yeah. I, you know, we are, we are so headed, we are so far, I, I believe the scales are so tipped in the negative emotions and values and, um, you know, just unforgiveness, just total unforgiveness. Mm. Uh, we're mm. really tipping. Yeah. I, and I certainly hope we go the other way. I hope, I hope so too. You know, one of the um, one of the things for me and uh, when I was resident in a psych hospital that was so operational was art therapy and how important that was and how grateful I was that that was an outlet. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think the more we can use different modalities that that speak to different people, the better off we are. You know, there was equine therapy, which didn't make any sense to me at all. But, you know, there <laughs> there was all, all sorts of different things to really kind of help you express and, and get Get that emotion and, and feeling yes, out and yes. be able to be able to communicate that. Right. 
Absolutely. Exactly. Because what he, I can't, I can't pronounce his name. So I keep calling him he as if he is with a capital H. <laughs> what he <laughs> said again <laughs> in the book that resonated with me was unless you have those changes where now I feel safe, like the elk running from the, the tiger or lion and the tribe actually now making that elk feel safe. We discharge in, you know, at seven to 10 days. Bye, you have family, who cares? Okay, you'll find somebody. You know, there's a homeless shelter actually down the street. You might get some food as well. That, right. We cannot change our visceral uh, changes to good anymore. So now we're going to view society as a threat. And why would somebody act out or murder or rob? Of What we're saying is, oh, he explains it in the book. Mm -hmm. It's not the Bible, but it is a book and it's good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good one. Yeah, he he talks so much about about that, like you're saying, being able to to discharge all of that if you have a moment where you or where you can feel safe or a place where you feel safe and and kind of be able to relax into that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you guys have both struggled with your own mental health a bit. Can you describe kind of that journey for me? You have to go first. Okay. I guess I have to go first. <laughs> Jane, you've been elected. So I have this joke that, so after two weeks in the incubator, apparently I was healthy enough to be discharged. And back then somehow the doctor convinced the insurance company to keep the twins together. Mommy so, was sick. So we were there for a total of 30 days. Again, Joan's being poked and prodded. And now, now I, my joke is I get wheeled good morning, baby A. And they wheel me off to the corner and they must, you know, they must say hello and do a little vital signs or feeding, right? right? Every few hours. So I, I feel like I had this learn, you know, Joan likes to explain it in that book on how I, I just had a learned helplessness and, and I would just zone out. Nobody knew. I mean, I could be in the middle of, um, where there's sirens everywhere and I, and not hear a thing. Uh, absolutely. Oh. oh, it was terrible. And then I remember going to school and learning about, you know, trauma. And we were in a medical, we were talking medical about rape kits and, and how attorneys will tear apart any woman that didn't fight back. And that mm -hmm. in my head, I was like, oh boy, I best not get raped because I would never fight back. Once I knew that it was futile, mm -hmm. I would just kind of like play dead. And, uh, you know, and hence, I always thought there was something flawed for, you know, the zoning out, not being able, you know, I was, um, I was a, a very good student, but I couldn't really read from the beginning of the paragraph. Uh, I couldn't comprehend, etc. Um, so then I just got busy. Instead of experiencing depression, I just got very busy. Um, the higher risk nursing uh, uh, areas, uh, intensive care. Uh, and psych nursing. Did that feed your adrenaline a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Joan, Joan can talk more about that. I don't have to. Um, and then I, I mean, I zoned out, <laughs> I think I was zoning out yet nine months pregnant. Uh -huh. And, um, and I, I often think that my son having my son kept me um, in the moment because I mm -hmm. had no choice. So I often think that my son saved me from kind of wandering around with all negative emotions, not grateful for anything. Um, very angry, didn't know it. 
Now, when you talk about zoning out, are you talking about dissociation? Are you talking about just being just being distracted? What are you talking about? Um, it's 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 not quite dissociation. I think it is a portion of a, like a phase one of dissociating, uh, kind of like it might be a phase one of sleep. Um, I've never gone back to um, a trauma, and well, that's not true. I mean, I've gone back to some but not experiencing uh, what was happening in the moment. I wasn't experiencing all of the senses with it. So, and so what kind of mental, mental health things came up as you, as you grew into an adult? Oh, I got diagnosed with major depression. I got diagnosed with postpartum depression. Uh, I hid the, I hid the part with psychotic features. Uh, It's very common with postpartum depression. Oh, really? And um, yeah, there's, there's so much shame in speaking of it because you re- literally think you're crazy. I remember listening to Brooke Shields speak of her postpartum depression. And, you know, she's America's sweetheart. And I don't think we were prepared to listen to her having thoughts of throwing her infant uh, across the room, like to hit the wall. And yeah. um and then for then for uh, Dr. Tom Cruise, that's <laughs> terrible of me to say for Tom Cruise to to say such negative things about uh, mental illness because it didn't fit into his belief system was right. just devastating. Right. Um, so, so Joan, and, and, what about what about your journey with um, mental health? Well, the electricity continued mm-hmm. to uh, such severe anxiety. It almost became crippling. My older sister and I were at a mall and I guess we saw, well, we did, we saw some relatives and uh, she began waving to the relatives and I hid behind one of those gigantic plants that was uh, in the mall. And she looked around for me. And when she saw me, she said, wow, you really do have problems, don't you? Now, Lori has been instrumental in me getting better. I was very resistant and angry at the time. I was became so anxious and angry that Jane's son named me after a vicious character in a movie who killed people, children, specifically <laughs> the killer. Her name oh, was really? Matilda. Yeah, I was named Matilda. So therefore, what would uh, somebody who is um, who is used to trauma, what would somebody do? I would get into traumatic relationships, a traumatic job, like Jane said, high risk, because we don't feel alive unless we have a bit of high anxiety there. So because right. otherwise we would have to numb our feelings to the point where we then don't feel anything, which is right. another opposite, which we often will feel. But I had to realize that if I didn't calm Matilda and get her treatment, that I was losing every single person in my entire life, every single person, including my mother. (laughs) (laughs) And that was just um, unfortunate because even my twin, she, she was tired of it and I don't blame her. Yeah. I was very resistant. So what kind of treatment did you seek? I didn't seek it. I got two cancer (laughs) scares. Oh, wow. (laughs) And uh, the second one, the first one was taken care of, but the second one uh, said that they said the word linear, which as a nurse, I knew that was a problem because I knew mathematics as well. Jane and I wanted to be math teachers. So we had advanced stuff and uh, yeah, the word linear meant that uh, that was growing. 
and I needed, I knew I had heard because of my sister, Lori, I had heard that there was this positive aspect in life where you could actually think to enjoy life. That was unheard of for somebody with PTSD. Why would I enjoy it? I would, I'm surviving it. So she gave me a book a couple of times. I believe I threw them away, but after the <laughs> cancer scare, um, she gave me the book that was signed by the author. And the author said to Joan, all is well. Now, no one knew that when I was suffering from this cancer scare and severe depression, I would call this author's phone number because they had phones back then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was a publisher. And um, I would listen to her tape. And at the end of this long tape about being a publisher and an author of so many books, she said, and remember all is well. well. And that's how I would cry and go to sleep every night was her. So because my sister Lori got that signed by her, I actually opened that book and I believe I was in my forties. So I would say to people, please seek help, (laughs) (laughs) any type of help prior to that. So important. So you guys talk a lot about forgiving the past and moving on. What has been the hardest things in your lives to forgive and move on from? I could keep talking, but go ahead. Let me just take one step. Um, uh, Probably a few years ago, I would have said um, my anger towards my parents. And then having um, worked through that. And sometimes what you think is the problem isn't always the problem. It's just right those fluff, those leaves just in the way. Yeah. Um, for me, um, so we take things out, uh, in life on the people we trust the most and, and being book smart, I could read that and know that to be true. Right. But to experience it, from someone who suffered such horror as an infant and then as a grown-up. I mean, Joan took it for the team. I even used to be grateful for the statistics at one point. I don't know how old we were at one point. It said that uh, one in four women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. And again, I went, oh, I took a big sigh of relief that there's two, two sisters and a mother. There's four of us. And Joan took it for the team Mm. again. So the hardest thing for me to forgive was uh, the violence that Joan um, cast at me in her attempts to just ask to be heard, I guess, or something. That was the hardest thing. And I could not do it. I finally understand, um, I think it's Martin Luther King Jr. who says, or somebody says, you can't fight uh, hate with hate, that only love can conquer hate. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, did I learn that lesson, that uh, all the hatred back at Joan, it was like fuel to the fire. It was nothing. It was terrible. And uh, so only compassion on my part. And that's, you know, what I would love to have told 
anybody that, if anyone could have told me that, that we could get through this, if you could just be compassionate towards your fellow human being. Yeah, that would have gone a long ways towards the healing, right? You know, instead of people saying, you have the right to be angry. I know I have the right to be angry. I I know that. (laughs) Got that one covered. Whatever I am feeling is true for me (laughs) at that time. And this feeling, you know, and and I can get triggered on this. And I mean, I know all that. But if somebody wise could have helped me to see it, of course, there were signs. Of course, there was wisdom around me. I just wouldn't look at it at the time. Right. So, right. But anyway. Yeah. So, Joan, how about you? What has been um, one of your big mountains to climb when it comes to forgiveness? Uh, well, I would like to say that uh, thanks for that. Uh, I was just unforgiving for people's behaviors that I perceived as deadly. Uh, What I want to say is I heard from this dynamic duo that you can go to uh, more enlightenment two ways. You can study and be a good person, or you can go through to there in an ambulance. And Mm. I know that. I chose that hard way. And I guess I had to. Well, I apologize uh, to a lot of people, including two of my exes, who said they missed Matilda. Oh. Not, not so quickly, not that many months into be, being better that I felt I was a bit better, always willing to learn more. And I know it's a hard journey to enlightenment, but that was interesting in itself. So I did apologize to a lot of people because what I realize now is I didn't have to view everything as a threat, but unfortunately from birth, 1960, no one knew how to get help. And I cannot blame people because by the time I was in college, I in the late 70s, I did hear of places to get help. So I did not choose to get help until I was uh, physically ill. And then I realized there was a connection with the brain and the body. Right. <laughs> Darn it. Right. Darn and, it with, and with that awareness comes some anger and frustration at people who have inflicted, inflicted that on you, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I only got treatment because um, I knew that a really sick human raising a child without, you know, being healthy in any way was not good. So again, there was my, my son. So I was like, probably I waited till about 30. I probably waited four years after he was born, but I did finally get some. Yeah, I'm sure you got treatment before I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what um, what kinds of therapy did you guys end up specializing in? Or was it just general or did you specialize in trauma therapy? Well, I we didn't, I don't think, well, for me, I didn't uh, try to specialize in trauma therapy. I think when I first started out, I didn't realize it was so important. But again, our roots back to 1982-ish, uh, always, always addressed trauma for any long-term client uh, suffering from any type of psychiatric long-term illness. 
always address that. So we were always interested in it. I know I was from suffering for so many traumas. But what I tried to do was the original cognitive behavioral therapy. And I realized it was very boring because, you know, sure, we can change our thoughts. It was difficult for me, you know, change from rational, excuse me, irrational to rational. I know that I have an irrational fear, maybe, of uh, an intruder, but I have to live on the first floor. So you're not going to tell me that to be safe with something up against the door because there's nine windows actually in my apartment and of several from the porch. So I knew that there was a part of cognitive behavioral therapy and DBT because Jane taught a group on that in Hartford. She downplays her experience. Um, And she would come home and tell me about that being mindful. Well, if you're a traumatized person who didn't get the proper treatment from when you were younger, mindfulness is a joke. (laughs) Yeah, that's a joke. Yeah. She said about almost unattainable. Absolutely. And immediately you go back to the trauma. Well, the birds might need food. So why are human beings touching bird seed in your group, Jane? That's something like that, I said. But yeah, so I went into more insight oriented on how we complete a circle in life. And I always brought in the animal kingdom because I felt like one. And I found that if you ask a person uh, what type of animal they identify with or Ask a bully, what type of dog do you represent? A lot of times that bully is a a small dog, but they're going to show a ferocious uh, side to them. So they'll pick something where they can't fight themselves. So they're going to be a bully and whatever the dog. So I uh, loved that if you went full circle, because then the person didn't need you anymore. You know, they were able to identify what, where they were going, just like their parents did which was the number one thing that upset them and they didn't want to be that. And now they have the tools and resources to find like groups or other types of things to get uh, fully better. But I loved sitting with them, believe Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. But But you can't always bill insurance for that. But by approaching it, by approaching it that way, you're really resourcing somebody um, with what they, with what they need to move forward. Absolutely. And a lot of the feedback we have gotten um, because some of our clients knew each other that um, some of the feedback was, I guess, some of the stuff that we could bring up and we could think of as we're both when, let me just say we're avid readers, but that's not really true. You know, I've described my attention and focus difficulties, but we are avid researchers of different things because we don't want to just say, oh, I grew up over here in Connecticut near Yale University, and this is how I think, and I know nothing of of the cultures around me. So, you know, one of our favorite classes in um, college, I, we both talked about was um, anthropology. I mean, mm. it was one of the most amazing uh, yeah. extra um, class. It's not of course it, within your major, but um, <laughs> the, so the feedback uh, and plus Joan is a diehard uh, plant-based or vegan. And mm-hmm. so we, and we always brought in, you know, the whole body. Oh, that's the other thing towards the end of our careers as therapists, we certainly nurtured the spiritual part of the, of the uh, trilogy body, mind, and spirit, because without all three being nurtured, you can't really be a a whole. And um, of course, when uh, policies and, and um, rules and, you know, driven by money, you know, they're, they're cutting the uh, reimbursement for the talk therapy part. And Mm -hmm. everyone knows that you don't get the information till, you know, 45 or 50 minutes. in. Um, (laughs) you know, you you only go, you know, the 12 and a half minutes with the very stable people. 
uh, the people that you know can give the feedback. But right. and that and then there's another type of therapy that we were trained for called psychodynamic psychotherapy and uh, basically dynamic being movement. And so, like Joan was talking about, helping people to then help themselves. Uh, being very good at being resourceful. So what is, what is psychodynamic? Yeah. How how do you, it's it's basically movement. So, so for example, um, I hate to say this, let me use myself. If I needed (laughs) therapy after my mother passed away, I I did not, but let's say I did. Um, There would be the period of time of uh, bawling your eyes out and crying, and then there would be all that grief stuff of guilt, um, uh, anger, and all these other emotions that are going to come across because you haven't resolved everything. And then at some point after the venting and then, and you're going through those phases, there comes to a point of acceptance and I can, I can now live in the absence of my mother and I don't have to, um, feel those terrible emotions that I'm, I've now wonderful Jane. Right. So there's phases. So there's movement. Yeah. And so one of the disservices I've done myself as well, I would never say other um, people Mm -hmm. and I didn't do it, but of course I've done it too, where you keep somebody in therapy where the entire every week session is um, anger and, and unforgiveness when they came to you to get better. And mm-hmm. you try to tell them that, yes, the medicine is definitely working. You're not kill, trying to kill yourself. And the, it's working because you get up and you shower. But it's not working in the part that's the hardest to get to right now. And that's letting some things go. Yeah. Hmm. And so, again, you know, you want movement. And, uh, you know, I think we've all failed. And it's a lot easier of a session when they get to vent just a little bit more. And, and that's okay, too. Um, yeah. But what the goal would be is some kind of movement <clears throat> away from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned spirituality and that was actually my next question um, for, for the two of you is what role does spirituality play in your own healing, in your practice, uh, in your, in your day-to-day life? Well, I'll go with me initially. I um, qu- question religion from the time I could speak. Our mother read the Bible the Bible, I guess. And, uh, I didn't like it and, uh, I didn't like it. So I became very much atheist. I, uh, again, like, uh, that doctor, the body keeps the score. I became over identified with the animal kingdom because I was surviving after all. So didn't I have to watch them survive in order for me to get better? Cause my peers to me, I wouldn't want them next to me during battle. Because, you know, I don't think they would have my back. That's a bad, that's a negative sign. Get help. (laughs) Warning, warning. Warning, get into the ship, (laughs) the Italian ship and get help. Because culturally you're taught that uh, memory in Italian is revenge. Is that the, oh gosh. Yeah, that, that is horrible. So anyway, that fed me, it fed me (laughs) because then too, when it, feeds me. Jane used to call it pulling in the troops or um, what'd you say? Calling in the troops, something like that. that. Because I used to write things down on a calendar so that I had my ammunition for whether it was an argument with Jane, my husband at the time, my family, I had ammunition so that my memory was excellent. She brought it right into a courtroom all the while telling 
John and myself that we were pulling her into a courtroom when it well, was. I felt she I had, had defense. She had all the. Um, oh. She had dates and. Oh, absolutely. Reference references. <laughs> yeah, scientific references. <laughs> absolutely, Jane. <laughs> yeah, that made me feel better. Anyway, yeah. that is a real sign of I did need help. But what he explains in that book about PTSD, which I actually He's wished I knew at a younger age, was the more I brought in the troops, the more my thoughts became extremist, cult-like. Everything that I would say is a danger today. <laughs> I was becoming that. So Matilda, hmm. I don't recommend naming the, the person, but I didn't name her. My nephew did. Because when you name her, she stays alive longer because I, she wasn't me. She actually had a different name. So I say, again, get help, recognize others. Um, But if spirituality doesn't come back to you, get spiritual over the good parts of nature. Because again, we can go negative and say nature is one of the cruelest, most psychopathic designs ever with lots of questions, but yeah, or it could be considered perfect or like Jane's positive. Again, get yourself a sidekick that can point out without <laughs> you biting her head off like a dragon or fire there and allow, you got to come with that contract. If I'm going to allow Jane to do it, she's going to be able to point it out because she will, she used to say, excuse me, what was that again that you said about yourself and I called myself every negative thing until I was down on the floor mm-hmm. under a rug with a foot on it mm-hmm. yeah and that's how much we can degrade ourselves and that's and how much your body kept the score and that's my right. body kept the score believe me mentally and physically yeah right yeah and where Jane, des- Jane describes um more the freeze mentality you you came out with the fight mentality mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you. So Jane, Jane, for you, what role does spirituality play in your life and your healing? Oh, was, was that the question? I was <laughs> um, I remember at a very, very young age thinking, oh no, if I'm not here, where am I? And then the only Uh, we were raised Catholic, but please, please, please. We never read the Bible. I know mommy did. Our mother did. We never paid attention in uh, CCD. I might've the only education I got then I will say is uh, a handful of movies like uh, Moses or Ben-Hur or uh, King King of Kings, uh, even Spartacus. um, uh, There were all the crosses with the men on the cross, but anyway, uh, and then what one thing our mother said was, take what you like. She was very frustrated with us. <laughs> take what you like and leave the rest. But I remember at a young age, always taking the dark side. So if I wasn't here, the only thing I could imagine, meaning if I was alive and then dead tomorrow, um, tomorrow and death meant a black hole for me. Oh, it, um, okay. It, yes. And then, uh, and then later, I remember Joan saying more than more than a handful of times. That's interesting. You believe in a punishing God. And in my head, I'm like, I never said that. But again, I kept the, the dark emotions, the, the sad, the over sadness, the, uh, you know, depression is so difficult because uh, there's a saying depression is anger turned inward. And for any yeah. depressed person, 
sometimes you're in touch with it, but when they point out that you're really angry with your mother, it wasn't your father, you're like, no, that is so not true. I am a good person. I'm a blah. Uh, so getting in touch with anger for me was very, very difficult, but I chose um, pretty much almost a hundred percent of all the dark emotions and a punishing God and this and that. So as I got better, and so I never lost the idea of an afterlife and, oh, my ex-husband hmm. uh, said to me, oh yeah, you're a Jesus groupie. In my huh. head, I I didn't think I ever brought up Jesus's name. We never went to church. <laughs> in fact, we got married in a church, but only because we couldn't arrange a no, no church wedding. We didn't want to. Uh, right. I never denounced Catholicism. I didn't know anything about it, really. Right. We made our confirmation. You know, I liked the Jesus movie, all the goodness <clears throat> in the movies, you know. Hmm. And, so why and did I, he think you were a Jesus groupie? Yeah, I think because I used to see the good. Apparently, okay. I would point out the good. I remember he was very, um, he had a negative emotion. He's still alive, so I have to be careful. He had a negative <laughs> emotion uh, toward a friend of his. And I and his friend was a lot luckier than him. And I remember, as negative as I was inside of me, I said, but Jim, don't you think that you're not lucky because all you see is that he's lucky? And and the little I learned, you know, like you're not, you're supposed to be happy for somebody else, not not be greedy to have what they have. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I guess I used to say things once in a while. I I really don't know why he said it. Envious, not jealous. Yeah. Jealous was that you didn't want the person to have what you have. But if I'm envious, I would like it too. Yeah. But good for you. Well, it's interesting. Yep. It's interesting, okay. Jane, that you had this feeling of, you know, recognizing that you see the dark, but then you, you, you profess more of the light, you know, mm. of seeing that. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have that duality mm-hmm. going on in your brain all the time. Oh gosh. So you mean to tell me, I've also learned the lesson that you have to see the dark in, store, in order to see the light. You have to mm-hmm. know hate yeah, in you order to, to know love me a lot. Yeah. I that would like be that. fabulous. Cause I worked very hard at, um, I knowing how dark I was and, and just very, I, I was, uh, jealous of Joan. First of all, the, the song, you are my hero. When that mm-hmm. came out, it was, uh, that, uh, movie, I think it was beaches. Uh, somebody on the radio said, uh, you know, for the next song, I want you all to think about who do you think of during this song? And at the end of the song, I'm bawling my eyes out because it's Joan. Joan's, Joan was my hero. She was everything I wanted to be that I didn't think I could mm-hmm. be. But I feel uh, now that I get to look back upon it is in order to have it, I would have to stifle the light out of her. So instead of being happy for her, and her light, I wanted the light, but I didn't care if she would get a light. In fact, I'd take her light, I guess. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just, it was dark. It's like that movie with Robin Williams. Um, <laughs> what, dreams. Uh, what dreams may come. Yeah. I would have been the uh, the mother who suicided. Oh, and I would have been with dark. 
trees that look like paint and yeah. stuff yeah. that he had. Hey, yeah. hippie in heaven, at least you'd be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, thank you for thank you for answering the question. I think spirituality is so important and we all see it so differently, but it's yes. it's really key. And like you said, you know, the Trinity of body, mind, spirit, you know, we have to acknowledge that that is a part of us and a part of part of who we are. So the book is from under the hood therapy twins guide to a smoother ride. Tell me a little bit about the book. Well, we ju- we came out with our own mental illness because we felt the stigma, of course, among, around the world of mental illness. But when it was within our own profession, it, it hurt because, you know, how many people don't go, you know, it, we go into this profession, not all of us, but if you want more knowledge about what you're going through as well. And of course, be mindful of that. So we wanted to come out with it. I was not spiritual at the time. So unfortunately, it's not a spiritual book. There's some, a tiny bit in, but I also wanted it to be ADHD. I didn't win that fight. ADHD friendly, because again, you would have lost me because, you know, Lori gave me the book initially. I threw it away or burned it, stuff like that. So that's why we came out. And it's wonderful when actors, actresses, and politicians or whatever come out, but within your own profession, professionals need to come out because there is that stigma like, oh, I'm here in a suit. Therefore, I had no problem before breakfast. You, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Whatever. (laughs) So we did it and uh, it makes people laugh. And I felt that laughter for me being a comedian myself, but loving comedy everywhere helped me because otherwise I would have been in that dark place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's kind of like I had someone say to me this weekend, we were talking about some of our doubts about faith and they said, we never would have thought a pastor would have doubts. It's like, you never would think a therapist has, you know, I'm just like, yeah, we we do. Therapists have, therapists have issues too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you, um, what do you um, see coming next for you guys? Well, we do have another book that um, we're outlining. Um, do we tell the title? Yeah, we've told Go people. Ahead. The title is humorous. If you hopefully, if you're the age that everybody is today, if they get it. <laughs> the e- the ego has landed. So instead of the, the eagle has landed on the it's, moon, we figured the ego because come to find out, every problem reflecting back now that I'm we are sixty, every single trauma, not, well, not the trauma, but every single reaction I've had in my life that has been negative had something to do with my ego as well. And it is difficult. So ego is often collected in your knees. Some uh, alternative people say, so if your knee is hurting you, wow, that's another reason. Go get some help physically <laughs> and mentally, physical therapy and neck up check interesting or something like interesting. that yeah yeah there was a well, comedian who said um would you who was talking about men and marriage and he says would you rather be right or happy and he was talking about being right is your ego and you know put it off to the side once in a while you don't have to point things out you don't have to take it personally blah 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 okay yeah Well, thank you so much for your time and for your stories and for just letting us into your world a little bit. I look forward to looking at your book, uh, Under the Hood, Therapy Twins Guide to a Smoother Ride, and people can find that where? 
on Amazon or just on our website, uh, therapytwins.com, one word, therapytwins.com or Amazon. All right. Well, thank you ladies for your time and for being a part of, of what I'm doing over here. Thank you so much for for having us. us. What a privilege. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast today. You can follow Jill on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.Author. And on Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. Email Jill at JillRiley.org.